0: Well, good morning everybody. Good to see all of you this morning. Welcome to UA. If you haven't been here for the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the book that Christians call the Acts of the Apostles. And this whole sermon series has been called a people for his name. This is all about the church and the gospel that we preach. Now, Uh, We started uh, a while back on Pentecost Sunday, and we talked about how the apostles received the Holy Spirit in the city of Jerusalem, and how they, they, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they went to all these other lands uh, to spread the good news. But I hope you've noticed some of the accusations made about the church and about the gospel along the way. We've seen these accusations made each week. On Pentecost Sunday, when the Holy Spirit came on the apostles, uh, they they started speaking in one language and yet were heard in many languages. And so some of the people there accused the apostles of having too much wine. Now, Peter said, it's 9 a.m. in the morning. We are not drinking anything this morning. This is a miracle that the Holy Spirit is enabling. When the apostles went to the city of Thessalonica, they started announcing that Jesus is king, he is lord over all creation, and the accusation made against them there was, these men are making trouble all over the world, because Caesar is in charge, according to them, and the apostles, these men from Judea, are claiming that Jesus is in charge, and that meant trouble. When Paul went to Athens by himself, he spoke to Stoic and Epicurean philosophers, and those men accused Paul of advocating foreign gods. And Paul said, no, 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 I don't advocate foreign gods. I advocate the one God revealed in Jesus Christ. And today we're talking about an accusation uh, made against Paul in Corinth, and I want to put this up on the screen. He was accused... Of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law now you probably uh, uh, heard what Paul said in response to this accusation when he said your blood be on your own hands from now on I am moving to the Gentiles and I, I want to focus on this this morning because I think that there are a lot of misunderstandings about this passage I think it's a really easy text To misunderstand and misinterpret. And I think that this is so important. We have to talk about this because for 2,000 years, Jews and Christians have had a tragic history in our relationships with each other. From the very beginning there have been christians who have been tempted to reject the jews one of the first men who ever did this was named marcion and he made this big donation to the church he was very wealthy he made this big donation but then he started teaching people to reject the old testament the old testament he said reveals a bad god that we need to reject and the new testament reveals a good god we need to accept the church sent back the donation They said, no, thank you. We don't want your money if you're teaching that nonsense. Okay? So from the very beginning of church history, we have accepted not just the Jews as a people, but also the Old Testament. And so it's so important this morning to know the real relationship between Jews and Christians. So I want to go back. I want to look at chapter 18, and I want to go verse by verse so we don't misunderstand this because the cost is so high so there are black bibles under your seats if you don't have a a bible app on your phone or if you can't read the words on the screen you can have a bible right in front of you we will be in the book of acts chapter 18. Uh, if you go to the new testament that's the last third of the bible it starts with the gospel of matthew then mark then luke then john and once the four the gospels are done then you have the book of acts and we're going to be in chapter 18 of that book this morning so here's how this story begins. After this, now this is Paul's visit to Athens, the famous Greek city. He went to another Greek city called Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because, and we know why they left the country of Italy, they, the Emperor Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Now, This is not something uh, that we only have evidence for in the Bible. There's actually a Roman historian who writes about this event when the emperor Claudius did this. This Roman historian's name is Suetonius. We're going to put a a quote on the screen. This guy is not a Christian. He's not trying to make up a story for the New Testament, okay? This is what Suetonius said. Since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, He, that is Emperor Claudius, expelled all of the Jews from Rome. Now here's the fascinating thing. Many scholars believe that Crestus is a misspelling of Christ. Think about that for a second. Paul did not take the gospel to Rome himself. The gospel had already gotten there and it was so controversial among the Jews in Rome that the news gets all the way up to the emperor who says, this is such a problem, I'm getting rid of all of you. He didn't distinguish between Jews who accepted Jesus or Jews who rejected Jesus. He just said, I want all of you out of my city. And that's how Priscilla and Aquila, that Jewish Christian couple, ended up in Corinth. And that's how Paul met them. So we actually have evidence of this outside of the New Testament. Now, uh, when Paul goes to see them in verses 2 through 4, he goes to see them because he's a tent maker. Now, this this is the same occupation that they have so paul makes tents so as to provide for himself while he preaches and we find out where does he go every single sabbath he reasoned in the where the synagogue okay this was paul's habit from the very beginning he would always go to his fellow jews and spread the gospel and he tried to persuade both jews and greeks now Fortunately, Silas and Timothy show up, probably with a lot of money. And so Paul, in the next verses, is able to devote himself exclusively to preaching. He doesn't have to spend the week making tents anymore. He can just focus on preaching the gospel, and he testifies to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. But here's the thing. No matter where you go on planet Earth, if you are a preacher and you share the gospel with people, guess what happens? Some people accept it, and some people reject it. So we find out that these Jews in Corinth oppose Paul and become abusive. And then he does this. This may not make sense in the 21st century with our cultural customs, but it made sense for him. He shakes out his clothes in protest and says to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, some Christians have unfortunately said, see, Paul has rejected his people. He's not going to have anything to do with the Jews anymore. They all reject Jesus, and so he's just moving on. Let's slow down and look at his actual words, right? Let's read the entire book of Acts and see what's actually going on here. First of all, in the very next chapter, when Paul goes to the city of Ephesus, what's the first place he goes to? He goes to the synagogue and he preaches there for three months. And then when Paul ends up in Rome at the very end of this book, guess who he calls to his house? He calls together the leaders of the Jews. They come in large numbers and some of them are convinced. So does Paul reject the Jews for all time? No, 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 no. These words are so crucial to put in context. That Those first words he says, your blood be on your own, own heads, is a direct quote from a Jewish prophet named Ezekiel. I want, I want to put this passage up on this screen. God calls the prophet Ezekiel a watchman for the Lord, okay? And he says this. This is the job, the occupation of the watchman. He sees the sword coming against the land. He blows the trumpet to warn the people. And if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning and the sword comes and takes their life, what does it say? Their blood will be on their own heads. So this is the job of the watchman. The watchman warns the city of any dangers. And if people ignore that warning, it's their responsibility. And so Paul is acting like a new Ezekiel. He's come to the city of Corinth. He shared the good news. And some people, unfortunately, are rejecting it. And so he says, this is not my responsibility anymore. I have done my job. And if you think, well, Jesus would never do this kind of thing, you've got to look back in the, in the Gospels. When Jesus sends out his... 70 missionaries in the gospel of luke in chapter 10 we're going to put these verses up on the screen this is what he this is the lord jesus this is what he tells to his missionaries when you enter a house first say peace to this house if someone promotes peace is there your peace will rest on them if not it will return to you so just stay there do not move around from house to house. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe wiped from our feet as a warning to you. Okay? So Jesus said the same thing. If you go to a place and you preach the gospel and it's rejected, you don't have to keep wasting your time there. You can move on and see if other people are going to accept it. Paul is not doing something anti-Christian. He's doing exactly what the Lord Jesus said. Would have taught and so if you look back in acts chapter 18 and verse seven what does paul do he leaves the synagogue and he goes next door to mr justice a worshiper of god but guess what who converts in the very next verse Th- those three words are bolded and underlined sam with me the synagogue leader okay does paul reject all of the jews no a synagogue leader in his entire family Convert and believe in the Lord Jesus. Now, obviously, if you're Paul and your fellow Jews are not accepting the gospel, that would be very discouraging. And so one night, Jesus actually appears to Paul in a vision. And he says this. These words are so important. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Paul feels so secure based on that promise that he stays in Corinth for a year and a half. He teaches them the word of God. Now, this promise from Jesus is actually going to be very important because there is an attempt made on Paul. Okay? So in verse 12, we read, When Galeo was... That's just another word for governor of Achaia. The Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. And this is where we we hear that accusation made for the very first time. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. Okay, I want to show you a picture. Um, A little over a month ago, I was actually in Greece, and I was actually in Corinth, okay? These are the famous Corinthian columns. These, these designs have been reused over and over and over. And, and as the Greeks would tell you, we invented that. Everything okay. that you like in America, we invented that. Um, let's put up the next picture. Uh, archaeologists just in the past 10 to 15 years found this elevated structure in the, the ruins of ancient Corinth. Okay. The first thing that they thought of was this story in Acts chapter 18. Okay, if you actually go into the Greek New Testament and you look at that, that phrase, the, the place of, of judgment, the tribunal, if you look at that phrase, the word is bima, okay, labeled on that elevated structure is bima. Archaeologists believe that this is where Paul was brought. So picture this for a second. That's my brother. But picture the Apostle Paul <laughs> standing on top of that structure, being accused by his fellow Jews that this man, this man right here, is is trying to convince people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. Now, in Acts chapter 17... Paul got to make this great defense of himself. If you were here last week, we talked about that. He gets to preach the gospel, but he actually gets interrupted. Just as Paul is about to speak, Galio says to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me, the Roman governor, to listen to you. But this, these lines are so important and the irony is amazing. He says, since this involves questions about words and names and about your own law, settle the matter amongst yourselves. Okay, it's crazy to me that a Roman governor 2000 years ago gets to the heart of the difference between modern day Jews and modern day Christians. To this day, this is the question. Is Jesus the fulfillment of the torah is he going against the torah like they're accusing paul of saying or is he what the torah was always about is is, is he the rejection of the past god's history with his people or is he its fulfillment now Today, I don't want to focus on the disagreements between Jews and Christians. I want to correct what I think are some misunderstandings. And I'm just going to put a few quotes up here just to bring this point home. This first one is from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans. Has God rejected his people? What are the three words he says after that? By no means. Anytime we ask the question, has God rejected the family of Abraham, the Israelites, the Jews? Our answer is no. It's directly from the Apostle Paul. This next line is from our Lord Jesus in the Gospel of John in chapter 4 when he's talking to the Samaritan woman. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. God has chosen to save the world, to bless all of the nations through the family of Abraham. Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians, In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham comes to the Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, but if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs according to the promise. You have been adopted. This is from... The Apostle Paul, this image is so fascinating to me, he compares Gentiles, that is non-Jews, to a wild olive shoot, okay? And he says, you are not connected to any kind of root, but you were grafted in to share the rich root of the olive tree. Now, this is so important for modern-day Gentiles, modern-day non-Jews who believe in Jesus. He says, it is not you that support the roots, but the root supports you, When I was thinking about this this week, I just thought uh, of how big of a mistake Marcion made, that man who tried to reject the Old Testament. I just want to put on the screen all that we have because we have access to the Old Testament. What songs would we even have without the songs of David inspiring them? What kind of notion would we have of justice for the widow and the orphan and the poor without the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel? What wisdom would we have without Proverbs and Ecclesiastes? How would we understand the sacrifice of Christ without the sacrifices of the Old Testament? How would we even grasp true freedom without the story of the Israelites being set free from Egypt? How would we know that we are made in the image of God without the book of Genesis? This is what we have access to because we are adopted into the family of Abraham. I just want to review some of the things we've said in the past couple weeks When, when we talked about Paul's mission to Thessalonica and how he was making trouble all over the world. We said, look, this is just a fact. The gospel always makes some kind of trouble for Caesar because Jesus is in charge and Caesar is not. When we went to the city of Athens, we said the gospel always addresses topics that cultures think they have figured out. And this week, I want you to leave, if you if you haven't heard anything else, I want you to leave with this fundamental truth. This is so important. Any gospel, any retelling of the gospel that leaves out the Jews, the family of Abraham, is not a full rendition of the gospel. Any gospel that leaves out God's chosen people is not a the gospel as I was studying this past week I came across a story I'm not making this up in 1945 the same year that World War two came to an end and the horrors of the Holocaust were being revealed all over the world the chief rabbi of Rome converted to Christianity now, I'm not making this up his name was Israel Zoli and he was asked in an interview why have you given up the synagogue for the church? And this was his answer. I have not given it up. Christianity is the integration of the synagogue. The synagogue was a promise, and promise, and Christianity is the fulfillment of that promise. The synagogue pointed to Christianity, and Christianity presupposes the synagogue. One cannot exist without the other. Now, as you probably noticed, Paul didn't get to defend himself, but later on in the book of Acts, he actually gets to. I want to put this quote up on the screen. This is from the Apostle Paul, talking about his relationship to the law and the prophets. He says, I admit, I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they, his accusers, call a sect, a breakaway. This is from the Apostle Paul. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law the and that is written in the prophets. Later on, Paul gets to write two different letters to the Christians in Corinth, and I think he summarizes this so well. I wish we could dive <laughs> in more deeply, but this is what he writes to them. He says, Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we, the apostles, preach Christ crucified, and that's difficult for everyone to believe. It's a stumbling block for the Jews. And foolishness to the Gentiles but this next part is so crucial but to to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God this is the truth since the very beginning of Christianity the gospel is for Jews and Gentiles to come together in Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit to love and serve the world that's been true from the very beginning and it's always Always been difficult for some to accept it. We can never say that God has rejected his people. We can never say that we should be so proud and boast because we're saved and they're not. The Apostle Paul and Jesus himself make sure we can say that. We can say that to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power and wisdom of God. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize from the very beginning you made promises to Abraham and his family. And we are so grateful that even as Gentiles, you have passed on those promises to us through Jesus. We are saved by a Jew named Jesus of Nazareth. We are saved because we're adopted into the family of Abraham. We thank you. That for 2,000 years, both Jews and Gentiles have accepted the good news. And that heaven will be full of Jews and Gentiles. We thank you for the work of Jesus. Because without, without him, this would be impossible. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.